This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Plekbaum. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? It's always damn something, though. What the hell is going on now, Mark? Well, what the hell is going on is TikTok has struck again. <laughs> so, so since October 7th, TikTok has been spreading all this anti-Semitic propaganda like a needle into the veins of younger Americans. You've got this phenomenon now where all of these young TikTok influencers suddenly discovered Osama bin Laden's letter to America, written 21 years ago. And they found this brilliant sage, this sheikh from the Middle East, who has exposed to them all the flaws in America about how the Jews run everything and how, how we've been interfering in their affairs. Let's let them say it for themselves. Here's just a little short compilation of some of the brilliance that TikTok is feeding your children. Girl. What? They found the letter. What letter? The letter. What letter? Osama's letter. So I just read a letter to America. And I will never look at life the same. I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. So this is a really good example of narrative control. You've got young people now who are getting their news. In 2020, 9% of, of 18 to 29-year-olds got their news from TikTok. It's now up to a third are getting their news from TikTok. They're not reading newspapers. They're not re you know watching TV news anymore. I mean, as you, you know from having young kids, they're watching YouTube, they're watching social media. They don't actually watch TV that much anymore. And so they're getting fed this propaganda. And as a result, there's like this massive increase in support for Hamas among young people, thinking that they're they're morally equipped. There was a poll, 64% of 18 to 24-year-olds think that Hamas and Israel have equally just causes. I mean, this is like this is a five-alarm fire for right, our country in terms of in terms of what we're doing to our younger generation. Right. So what you will hear people say, you know, like on Seinfeld, ah, you know, they're just idiots. And the answer is A, idiots can vote. B, this is a very substantial chunk of the next generation. And C, you know, we had 70 years of communism based on what, eh, these idiots think. 30 million people died, uh, you know, under Stalin's feet. Eh, crazy, like the Chinese Communist Party. Tens of millions of people died in the Cultural Revolution. This is not, you know, it's not something to dismiss. As ever, our trusty producer, Clara, pulled together some examples of this. This isn't a fringe phenomenon, guys. So here we have the lovely person, modest and I'm sure beautiful, who labeled herself goddess. She's got over 70,000 followers. About the bin Laden letter, she says, this letter is so well written and so reasonably structured as an argument. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Junie B. Okay. Junie B. She's got 320,000 followers. She said, the Palestinian war and the things that are happening are biblical. 
Hamas is in part bin Laden. They even compare them. And if you think that, I feel like bin Laden is just in a bad place and he's doing the best he can because this shit goes down before him. But we really need to wake up and pay attention. What? <laughs> there are more people with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers glorifying bin Laden, glorifying Hamas, glorifying the murder of these 1,300 Israelis on October 7th, these children. It's just, I mean, what the hell? No, what the hell is right. And here's the thing also, is that the algorithm feeds this stuff to kids and China controls it, right? What TikTok is doing now to feed anti-Israel, pro-Hamas, anti-Semitism, they could do in a war you know, or in a conflict or in the lead up to a conflict over Taiwan. They could create a third column of ignorant young people in this country. <laughs> you know, you look at all the marches on the streets happening on college campuses and all the rest of it. Can you imagine if it was against Taiwan and pro-China? Easy peasy. All of this is easy because one thing that these people have done is they have proven to their Chinese overlords that they are faithful followers of their directions, right? The algorithm is tantamount to a foreign government telling you what to do and think. And, you know, we used to have in the 1950s, you know, remember those old movies, you know, with the spinning and the mind control. I actually wasn't stuff. alive in the 1950s, Danny, but tell me about it. Shut up. Neither was I. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, you know, all of the sci-fi stuff about, you know, about your evil alien overlords who were controlling everybody's minds and they were marching robotically in there, you know, to those orders. This is actually yep. that. No, it's exactly right. And But think about this also. So, you know, during the Cold War, before we had the rise of social media and all the rest of it, you had like the networks. ABC, NBC News, CBS, right? Most people's news came from those places and a few handful of newspapers. Imagine if the Soviet Union had bought one of those. Oh, and it you know, they possible. bought, you know, well, some people would say the Soviet Union was, did in fact own CBS News, but let's say, let's yeah. say they had actually yeah. bought it and controlled it. But they, but, it, but they had an American board and they, they had, you know, they claimed some distance from it, but, you know, they had it. Would we have tolerated? The Soviet Union owning one of our major networks, which was only source of information or one of the few sources of information for millions and millions of Americans. So why would we tolerate the Chinese Communist Party having control over a much more pernicious, you know, form of information because they can not only adjust the content, but they can like they can use it uh, through algorithms to target people and also collect information on them while they're targeting them so that they can more precisely, you know, move their propaganda. I mean, this is like all a pernicious information weapon that Hitler and Stalin and would would have loved to have this tool. And we're perfectly fine with all of our children being on a a tool that is owned and controlled right. by the Chinese Communist Party. What the hell? Right. That's exactly right. It, it is what the hell. So we have a recidivist guest this week in the what the hell department. And believe me, he knows it. He knows it. He's been with us a ton of times. And Mark, you have, just to tease a little further, you have a great conversation with him about an investigation that his committee has done on, you guys won't believe this, but a, um, a Chinese Communist Party tied bio lab existing in California. So we'll give you all Not the details Wuhan. on that. <laughs> Not, not, 
Not Wuhan, but California. Congressman Mike. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, no, listen, you guys won't believe this when you hear it. So Congressman Mike Gallagher, no surprise there, has uh, he's represented Wisconsin's eighth district in the House of Representatives since twenty seventeen. He's uh, serves as chairman of the Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. He's chairman of the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Cyber Information Technologies and Innovation, and he serves on HEPSI. He's served um, it, with honor in our armed services overseas. He's one of, I know, he's, you guys already know this, but he's one of my favorite people. Here's our interview. Well, Mike, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back. How many times is this? What sort of, uh, have I earned my gold jacket yet? You definitely get a mug. Okay, I have a mug. <laughs> I have a mug already. I use this oh, mug. Oh, gosh, okay. So, we got to we gotta have like, a scale of gifts for repeat offenders. Yes, merch, merch a golden deal. mug. Good merch. We need more merch. <laughs> you, me, and Taylor Swift. Maybe you could help us arrange to have it made in China. That's right. It probably was. <laughs> I'm not advocating we need to decouple when it comes to mugs, unless there's a national security threat posed by a glut or, or dearth of mugs that I'm unaware of right now. I don't think that's the main decoupling's priority. <laughs> Let's figure out pharmaceutical ingredients. And then we can turn our attention to mugs. Exactly. But here is a priority. Your committee has just uncovered that a PRC citizen and wanted fugitive receiving millions in unexplained suspicious payments from the PRC ran an illegal biolab in the heart of Reedley, California. What the hell? <laughs> it's a crazy story. And if you're hundreds of thousands of listeners want to learn more they can go on our website and read the whole report we just tried to lay out the facts it was a bipartisan report this isn't some crazy hawkish you know fever dream but essentially what happened is a year ago in december of 2022 the building inspector for reedley california which is a rural town about 26,000 people near fresno california saw a hose sticking out of what was supposed to be an abandoned building so she went inside to inspect and saw a bunch of people in lab coats who then identified themselves as Chinese nationals. It was filled with medical equipment, freezers, vials that they would later learn were filled with dangerous pathogens to include HIV, tuberculosis, and Ebola. And there was about a thousand transgenic mice. So these are mice that have been manipulated uh, to have their immune systems mimic a human immune system. So you might say, why is all of this going on in what was supposed to be an abandoned building? And that is a good question. And the city officials tried to answer that, get that question answered. They contacted the FBI. The FBI did a background check on the owner, a guy named Jesse Hsu, who is completely shady. He was a wanted fugitive, um, a Chinese citizen. Um, but the FBI refused to investigate because they said it had no connection to WMD, which is crazy on a couple levels, because obviously dangerous pathogens can be weaponized. Um, maybe they wouldn't have the same destructive impact as a nuke. But we have recent experience in this country with a pandemic that killed millions of people. The FBI shouldn't be worried at all about dangerous yeah. pathogens, you know, because they, they clearly have no deadly uh, effect on American citizens, especially Chinese pathogens. Yeah, they, they called the CDC. The CDC at one point hung up on them. The CDC only got involved months later because the congressman, a Democrat, Jim Costa, demanded them to get involved. They finally sent a team out there in May. So that's months later. 
Uh, they still refused to test the vials. It wasn't until afterward they found a freezer that was labeled Ebola and that had Ziploc silver bags inside. They still refused to test those bags because they said unless the entity itself is labeled Ebola, they can't test it. So massive failure in our tripwires or lack thereof. We then got involved because the speaker at the time, Kevin McCarthy, as well as Jim Costa, as well as even Adam Schiff, again, this was bipartisan, asked for a congressional investigation. I sent my team out there. The city officials asked us to subpoena them so they could actually get on record with all this stuff. So we went out there. We did a comprehensive investigation, found all sorts of troubling things in the lab for which there's no legitimate explanation. And the guy who owned it, Jesse Shu, uh, and I'm sorry to go on, but this thing has so many no, no. twists and turns. Tell the story. It's very wild. Jesse Shu. Okay, so Chinese citizen was a fugitive from the law in Canada. He had he had come here illegally from Canada across our porous northern border. Maybe Vivek had a point about the northern wall uh, that we needed. Uh, just kidding, everybody. He was fleeing a three hundred thirty million dollar claim against him for intellectual property theft. He had stolen a genetic process involved in the making of milk. Because back in like a, a decade ago, there was a big infant milk shortage in China. The hundreds of babies died in China. It was tragic. So he effectively stole the IP to fix that process on behalf of the Chinese government, was a fugitive, came here illegally, uh, got connected with an accountant here in America who's also a Chinese national who has direct connections to the Chinese Communist Party United Front Work Department. He set him up with um, shell organizations for his businesses. We think he set him up with his fake ID. He assumed a different alias. And he basically had two sort of business activities at that point in America involved with this lab. One, he was making fake test kits for pregnancy tests, for COVID tests, and for urinalysis tests. And the other was something involved in the buying of dangerous pathogens online, but for which there was really no coherent explanation. So he was, as you are able, like you could go online right now, you could buy things like MERS, you could Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which Danny knows better than anyone, caused havoc recently. You could buy all these dangerous pathogens, which he was doing, and then he had them in this facility, but there's really no legitimate purpose. When they actually tried to dispose of the mice, the figurehead CEO of the company who's in China called and said, you can't destroy these mice. They're very valuable. Um, we need these for immunology research, but it's unclear what research they were doing. Um, so this guy has subsequently been rolled up. He was getting unexplained wire transfers from China, uh, over $2 million worth. The whole thing, and I'll, I'll try and land the plane here, a few, a few obvious things. Again, in this report, we just tried to lay out the facts. We're not making sort of policy judgments or, or we don't want to overstate the case in terms of his connection to China, but he'd done previous work on behalf of the Chinese government for which he was a criminal. He was getting these unexplained payments and he had connections to United Front work entities. But it's obvious to say our tripwires were non-existent in this case, right? There, there was no defense in depth and it should not be the case in my opinion that you can just buy dangerous pathogens online. Two, it raises the question, how many other labs are there like this out there? I mean, this would seem to be a massive soft underbelly for our entire national security or homeland security system much like the southern border, right? I mean, it just, it makes absolutely no sense that we would allow something like this to happen because it could really cause a lot of damage. And at a minimum, we need the CDC to pick up the phone when local officials call them. And thank God the local officials did their job. They were trying to get help from the federal government and, and nobody provided them any help. And we had to get involved. It, it shouldn't take calling your member of Congress to have the CDC provide you help in an occasion like this. 
Yeah, this is insane. It's literally insane sounding. The FBI wouldn't investigate. The CDC hung up on them. Has the media been all over this? I mean, Mike, imagine to yourself, Ebola, this is the thing that causes you to bleed out of your eyes, right? The fatality rate is up to 90%. And I can get online and buy it and stick it in Mark's coffee tomorrow? Not that I would, of course, Mark. We have you on record now on tape, just so you know, with with our hundreds of thousands of listeners who have now heard your threats against me. So if I die mysteriously, Mike, I want you to launch an investigation of Danny. I feel the same way about if I die in the next five years, do not believe the explanation. I didn't fall off the balcony. It was not natural causes. I'm 39. For all I know, I'm healthy. It was it was any number of enemies that I've made in the last few years. Um, but yeah, you I mean, enemies? it's totally crazy. <laughs> The local media picked it up at the time. I don't remember the extent of the national coverage a year ago when it first broke. Uh, the Washington Post did cover our the release of our report. This was kind of timed around last week when she was meeting Biden at Apex. It got a little bit drowned out like that. I think the reason McCarthy asked our committee to look into it, this may sound a little bit self-aggrandizing, is there was a concern that the investigation would go overboard and could go into McCarthyism, hey, the CCP has like, you know, biowarfare facilities in America, or that like we could target this guy because he was Chinese, which is incidental to the fact that he just, he, he yes, he's Chinese, but he had a illegal bio lab with dangerous pathogens. So I don't care what nationality you are, that's not cool. So we were able to do this in a bipartisan way that I think didn't go overboard. So there was some sensitivity about that at the time, but we're trying to shine a light on it now because I do think there are, there are obvious deficiencies and gaps in our system that need to be fixed. Um, and uh, we need to have a defense in depth against something like this. Because I know that back in China, they are investing heavily in the next generation of biotechnology and biowarfare weapons. And this is just a new phase of this competition that we're going to have to be on guard against. And we're not right now. Our defense is down. Man, that's just a stunning, stunning story. If only we knew an opinion columnist for The Washington Post who could write an article about mm. this brilliant report. If only. I don't know. We, and we, we knew a congressman who had studied this issue and could talk about it in depth with that said columnist uh, and give him all the material that would well, be necessary to, to really explode the story. I wonder. I cannot believe I'm about to yell at you two to talk about Osama bin Laden. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about Osama bin Laden, please? All right, let's shift from bioweapons to mind virus, which is TikTok. <laughs> so you just wrote a fascinating piece for the Free Press, which has connected these stunning polls that have come out recently, which show that 51% of Americans 18 to 24 think that what happened on October 7th can be justified by the grievances of the Palestinians, and 64% think that Hamas and Israel have equally just causes. Not the Palestinians in Israel, Hamas in Israel. I mean, what the hell is going on first with young people as the youngest person on this podcast right now? <laughs> and and two, what does TikTok have to do with it? Well, first of all, I will concede at the outset two things. The problem of young people is uh, what political scientists would call an overdetermined problem, right? We can't just say that it's the fact that social media is a cesspool which it is. And I think people like Jonathan Hyde and Greg Lukianoff have convincingly shown that there's something unique going on in terms of the correlation between 
social media use with this generation, I guess my generation and the generation below. I think I'm the oldest millennial possible. And then Gen Z, and I don't even know what the next generation is. Non-boomers uh, is what I like to say. Um, though, incidentally, Biden is not a boomer. Biden is a member of the silent generation. He's so old, he's not even a boomer. My God. Fun fact of the day. And the other thing is just saying social media in general is a cesspool is an admission uh, that we have a problem with social media use in general. But the peculiar problem of TikTok is is twofold. One is the basic ownership structure, right? Uh, as you might hate Instagram and all these other American social media companies. You may think that we need to remove Section 230 or you break them up and they're acting like monopolies, blah, blah, blah. But these are American companies. They may not always reflect American values, but they're subject to a certain system uh, in America that uh, TikTok, because it's owned by a Chinese company, which is beholden to the Chinese Communist Party, is not. And as TikTok becomes the dominant social media company, and it becomes the dominant news platform in America, we now have to ask ourselves this question, do we want to let the CCP, albeit transitively via ByteDance, to control the dominant media platform in America? When we know for a fact they have a desire to pit Americans against Americans and stoke division, because they do it overtly on our social media platforms. They elevate and intensify all of the worst rhetoric about how America is an evil, racist country that's responsible for every problem in the world, particularly the problems in the Middle East, and it must constantly apologize for its past sins. So now then, if you do a comparison, and we have, there's a couple analyses that are not yet ready for primetime, just looking at the October 7th phenomenon and reaction and comparing TikTok to other platforms, it does seem, there does seem to be something unusual going on with TikTok. Now there should, could be something confounding the data uh, but right now, it just seems like the algorithm itself is optimizing to intensify anti-Semitic rhetoric. And Danny, I'll, I'll pause here and let you comment. I mean, the fact that we have Americans like looking at Osama bin Laden's letter to America, the TLDR version of which is, you know, the evil Jews control everything in America and they and America must be destroyed is crazy. I mean, it is so crazy. It's hard to wrap your head around. I'll stop talking there. No, it's it's fascinating. So actually, I wanted to sort of pull the aperture out uh, wider for a second. So uh, most of our listeners won't know this, and obviously you do. But over the last 30, 30 plus years, the United States has been, I don't want to say it daggers drawn. That's probably a little dramatic, but certainly in a state of extreme tension with Israel over the question of Israel's military relationship with the People's Republic of China, right? I go back to the 1990s and people can go back and look at a moment when we sold something to the Israelis who then sold it to the Chinese, Green Pine, I think it was called Radar, right? And we were furious with the Israelis. They were giving the Chinese access to the best technology. And there has not been an administration that has not passed, that has not, Republican and Democrat, raised this with the Israelis. And they're always like, no, we're not doing it. And you need to understand, we need to support our indigenous defense. And then they, we say, but you are the Taiwan of the Middle East. What the hell is wrong with you? And their answer is, no, no, you don't understand at all, right? And the Israelis thought for three, four decades that they had the Chinese managed. And what you see after October 7th is not only do the Israelis not have the Chinese managed, they have amplified Hamas. Their foreign ministry has stood with 
Hamas. They have gone berserk with their social media, even Chinese social media, not TikTok, not what our kids are seeing, but what Chinese people are seeing, virulent, people with millions of followers, virulent anti-Semitic shit that you would not believe. And they have erased Israel from state maps. Okay, not in every case, but in a lot. And, and, and so there's the context. And for me, this is just the flip of a switch that shows that there's something much deeper going on in China vis-a-vis -vis Israel, maybe vis-a-vis -vis Iran and Russia. And Mike, it's your job to tell me what that is, because I actually don't know. Well, I guess the bias I now bring into this is um, increasingly it looks like there is a proper axis of bad guys arrayed against us, right? We can call them an authoritarian axis or an anti-American axis or the new axis of evil, whatever. I haven't settled on the right term. But the dominant partner in this de facto alliance is China. They have strange bedfellows in terms of their junior partners, Iran and, and Russia. But like the shared interest that is currently keeping them all together is to undermine, if not destroy, the American-led global order. And therefore, when one of the junior partners decides they're going to, let's say, invade Ukraine, though China may not have scripted that, they, they back them. They back them. They, they back their rhetoric around concerns over color revolutions globally. They blame America. Perhaps they benefit uh, from the chaos in Europe in terms of their primary ambition, which is to take Taiwan uh, by force if necessary. And similarly, in the Middle East, China was perfectly content to develop an economic relationship with not only Israel, but also Iran. They signed this 25, 30-year economic partnership agreement with Iran. China has severe energy needs. Iran has energy resources. I think for at least the last 18 months, if not longer, China has been the biggest purchaser of Iranian oil, which also, by the way, presents an opportunity to de-dollarize the global economy. So. I view this as like more than anything else, simply as China deciding to back Iran in the region. And maybe that's too simple and I'll let you push back. But also, and this is where your expertise would be better than mine, by putting the, the rapprochement between Israel and Saudi Arabia kind of off the table for now and kind of driving a wedge between Israel plus America and the Sunni Arab Gulf states, which were really doing things that could be historic. They positioned themselves further as not only the leader of sort of the anti-American alliance with Iran, but also they, they, they're trying to position themselves as like leader of the global south, which is a term that encompasses so many different countries that aren't just in the southern hemisphere. So there's a variety of things going on, but it all comes back simply to their ultimate ambition, which is to become the regional hegemon and ultimately the dominant power globally. And that requires taking America down a few notches. Maybe that's dumb. No, look, I don't think it's dumb, but I do think that it is strange. One of the things about our adversaries, whether it's the Chinese or it's Al-Qaeda, is that they're really pretty good at playing the long game. And we've seen China play the long game in the Middle East. They positioned themselves with Iran, but they've been pretty careful to balance with the Saudis. They've been pretty careful to preserve their relationship with these other guys. And let me tell you, what we hear coming out of these you know, Arab networks with the Saudis condemning the Israelis and blah, 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 all of the usual stuff, that's not what they really think, right? Behind the scenes, they're telling everybody, kill them and kill them now, right? Let the Israelis finish Hamas because that will be devastating to Iran. 
So China has made this weird choice that is actually going to make those guys nervous. I don't get it, and I think it goes much more deeply into some of the analysis that we've seen from folks that we work with at AEI that suggests that there have been some pretty radical changes going on for Xi Jinping. That basically he's made a decision to, you know, to double down on your new axis of evil or whatever we call it, you know, the BGs. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but for me, this seems stupid. You know, it's one thing to side with Iran. Hamas doesn't have any oil. They're just terrorists. You're totally right. You know, it's interesting. The, the Sunni states in the region, I think you're absolutely right. Like behind closed doors, we'll say, yeah, these guys are crazy. Take them out. They obviously have their own domestic politics to manage. Even monarchies have like domestic politics, but they've never, I spent my observation, at least for the last, I don't know, 15 years, they've never tried to like Palestinianize their relationship with us or Israel, right? And the reason we saw this rapprochement that the Trump administration, I think, wisely took advantage of is because the dominant threat in the region was from Iran, right? And that was the thing, that was the long pole in the tent that brought Israel closer together with Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and the UAE, et cetera, et cetera. And also, by the way, Mike, made possible by the Iraq war. Yes. Because the Iraq war eliminated the check on Iran that Saddam Hussein played, an unstable check. So if it had not been for the Iraq war, there would be no Abraham Accords, because now all of a sudden the Gulf states needed a powerful check on Iran. And guess who that was? The Jewish state of Israel. You know, neocons spiking the football. (laughs) He never misses an opportunity to claim victory. Mission accomplished. Mark Thiessen. I'm joking. I'm joking. Maybe we're searching for a geopolitical or strategic rationale when it's pure economics. I don't know, right? It's pure greed. You know, they want money. China has a lot of money. They want it without strings attached. We lecture them on human rights all the time. I get it. You know, Israel, Chinese had a massive investment in various port facilities in Israel. You know, I'm sure there was similar you know, adjusted for per capita levels of intellectual property theft. Israel is obviously an incredibly innovative, high-tech country. So perhaps there's just a pure economic and energy motive, and we're searching for some sort of explanation where she's sitting back there, okay, I'm going to get Russia to start a war in Europe, and then we'll get Hamas to start a war in the Middle East, and the Americans will be distracted, and then I can take Taiwan. I don't have evidence for that, you know? Like, there's a there's a certain pattern of events there, but I don't, I don't have evidence to support that. Let's talk about something you do have evidence of, which is TikTok and their use of this here. I mean, it's fascinating. There was, there was a Pew poll that came out that said in 2020, 9% of 18 to 29-year-olds were getting news from TikTok, and that's now, three years later, 32%. Almost a third of young people getting their news. I assume that's going to continue to expand. Do you think that this sort of surge of anti-Semitism on TikTok, which they're now like desperately trying to claw back and claim that they're not doing it because they've gotten a lot of blowback from it, was almost like a test run? It's like it's not even so much important whether they did it or are continuing to do it. It's the fact that they have the capability to do it, right? So if we ever got into a conflict with Taiwan and they've hooked us on this, uh, you've called it the digital fentanyl yeah. that TikTok provides then they can suddenly surge 
anti-U.S., pro-PRC, anti-Taiwan propaganda, and the same idiots who are reading the letter to bin Laden will be reading Xi's missives on why we brought this upon ourselves and Taiwan independence and all this crazy stuff. They, they have a surge capability to just to inject this mind virus into our, into our young people. Well, here's what we know. We know that in the past, they've suppressed content related to subjects that are sensitive for the Chinese Communist Party, uh, most notably the genocide in Xinjiang province, which, by the way, all of uh, Danny's uh, Muslim friends uh, never condemn the Chinese Communist Party for their genocide of, of Uyghur Muslims. It's actually one of the most infuriating things about some of our closest partners in the region. There is just silence when it comes to the treatment of Muslims in, in China, where there's an active genocide underway. Well, the Jews aren't doing it. That's right. The other evidence on the amplification of, for example, Kashmir independence movements, which makes sense given China's territorial claims vis-a-vis the Indians and the desire to, like, you know, uh, prod the Indians. There was a bunch of Indian soldiers that were bludgeoned to death by Chinese soldiers uh, in the last few years. India, notably, has banned TikTok completely. They're not an international pariah. There's no domestic crisis related to the banning of TikTok in India. It hasn't slowed down their economy. This is like the biggest, I think now it's surpassed China, the biggest country in the world, certainly the biggest uh, democracy in the world. They banned TikTok, okay? Um, So we know in the past that they've had bad behavior. I think the analyses that are about to come out with respect to this specific incident will suggest that something strange is going on, unique to TikTok, in terms of there may be anti-Semitic propaganda all over social media, but it's unusually pronounced on TikTok. But I can't say that this was definitively a test run, right? But if nothing else, and this is sort of where you started with the question, the fact that it is a news source gets to something critical because TikTok always claims that, you know, this is just fun. It's about entertainment. It's about dance videos, et cetera, et cetera. It's just user generated content. Well, I don't think that's tenable anymore. Uh, given the that a third of adult users get their news from it, the numbers are more pronounced the younger you get. One in six American teens say they're on the platform almost constantly. It has significance far beyond short, stupid dance videos. Put differently, also, it's not just about the data, right? It's not just about their ability to track your location or see what websites you visit and spy on you effectively. It's about the propaganda power. It's about their ability to control what information you get and what you think is true and what you don't think is true. And even if you don't think there's any evidence that the CCP has influenced ByteDance to influence TikTok to do bad things, what about the CCP's behavior over the last two decades would make you think that we should give them the opportunity to do this in the future? And if you just listen to to things Xi Jinping talks about, he talks constantly about the smokeless battlefield, which is his phrase for the information war, the ideological war, which he views to be the most important part of this competition. And it's and we like we had all this momentum to tackle this issue in the form of either a ban or a for sale. But then we completely lost it because of two things a massive multi-million dollar lobbying campaign on behalf that TikTok has paid for. If you remember in the Republican debates, they've run, they ran two ads and I think the first two debates, I don't remember in the third one, that positioned TikTok as like the champion of small business, it's American flags and apple pie and, you know, dairy farms. Um, 
And the other thing is the Senate tried to take action. They didn't quite get their construct right. It was viewed as a grant of excessive authority to the executive branch. And so now people are gun shy about doing anything. But if we don't do anything, and if we allow the status quo to continue, TikTok will become the dominant media platform in America, perhaps the dominant news source in America. And the fact that in the past, the Chinese Communist Party has refused to allow a sale to an American entity tells you everything you need to know, because they clearly want to maintain control of this tool, this weapon going forward. So it would be an act of national suicide to allow the status quo to continue. We have to act before it's too late. Danny, can I follow quickly? But she's going to kill you in the future. She already admitted it. So you anger her further at your own. I know, exactly. We got her on record. I mean, just, you know, if something happens, refer back to this podcast. I've got the evidence. You see, we'll see like a few transgenic mice running in the background. <laughs> Danny's experimenting. Well, now that she told her that she could buy Ebola on the internet, I'm going to be watching my packages very carefully. But look, so this has real world impact. I mean, so think about this. There was a poll that just came out that shows that young voter sympathies flipped from Israelis to Palestinians over the last month when all of this surge of anti-Semitism on TikTok was happening from just over 40% in favor of Israel and, and about 25% for the Palestinians to 52% for the Palestinians and 29% for Israel. So in a month since this conflict has happened, the sentiment of young people has, has flipped. And this has an impact because Biden is basically doing the right thing. But his political people are now coming to him and telling him, you know, you're in trouble with young voters. You're in trouble with Arab Americans in Michigan. If you don't win Dearborn, overwhelmingly, you're going to lose Michigan and you could lose the presidency. Yeah. It's creating political pressures on him. And so all of a sudden now they've got, now we've got to focus on Islamophobia. And now we've got to focus on humanitarian corridors. And now we've got to, you know, they're pushing him towards ceasefire. This actually works. Yeah, you know, two things. One, it does seem like Biden is changing his position and falling victim to the, the, the radical, what I call the intifada left, uh, the Hamas caucus. And like sort of tactically micromanaging Israel in a, in a bizarre way that I don't completely understand. The second is that when asked about TikTok, cabinet level officials, notably Gina Raimondo in the past, have said, well, we can't do anything because we don't want to anger younger voters. I mean, she almost explicitly put it in those terms, which, you know, my my kids are three and below, so I haven't quite gotten to this phase. I, I understand that the, you know, angering 14 year olds is not a fun thing to do. But the fear of angering 14-year-olds can't be the basis of our foreign policy. So I don't find that justification compelling. And it's not clear to me that politically it would fall one way or the other. So I just I, I don't understand. But seriously, there's a question. And I was just asking Stephen, who uh, obviously you both know my husband, who's a lawyer, about this because he does a lot of CFIUS work. ByteDance bought TikTok from an American company, right? It never went through the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, what we call CFIUS, okay? Um, there, it, it, it is. That is not the virus that Danny plans to send yeah. me through the mail. Right, that's Ebola. That's Ebola. <laughs> She's going to infect me with syphilis. No, that could, that could happen too. But anyway, but seriously, it's, I don't want to call it the flip of a switch, but for the Biden administration, they could, in fact, retroactively force ByteDance to go through this syphilis process and then force them to divest TikTok. They could do this. It's not, it doesn't even require that Congress gets up the gumption to ban it. The Biden administration could, could effectively do that. I don't get why there's no consensus about this other than the 14-year-olds. 
Uh, two things. One, Trump tried to do it, and he ran into a legal buzzsaw, but you can argue that the way they did it was a bit inelegant, and certainly if you had a, a talented lawyer like your husband on the case, I agree with you completely. There, There is a path forward via CFIUS. I'm going to play him that recording. He'll be very uh, yeah, happy. Well, I'm a big you. fan of, of your husband. Um, <laughs> very well-dressed man, too. He's always very, very well-dressed. Um, yes, he's got an excellent wife. And the second is they're in the CFIUS process right now, but they kind of took a detour to a mitigation agreement. So there was something called Project Texas, whereby they would work with Oracle to develop a system that would test TikTok and its data and, and make everyone feel good that it wasn't being manipulated. The problem really comes down to algorithmic control. And I think people, some of your colleagues like Klon Kitchen have effectively made the argument that until you have more transparency around the algorithm and the, the algorithm is controlled by a non uh, like ByteDance or CCP beholden entity, Anything else is just window dressing. Like that is the fundamental problem, which is why a sale to an American company provided that that involved a transfer of the algorithm and then things would effectively just branch out at that point between TikTok, Free World, and then Doyin, which is the version of TikTok in China, which, by the way, as I think we've talked about before, it, it's restricted to a couple hours a day for Chinese kids. The content is heavily restricted. So they clearly realize that it is not good for kids because they're putting massive controls on it. So a for sale to an American company would, would alleviate most of my concerns and I think would be an acceptable outcome. Uh, but the CCP, uh, as I said before, in the past has balked at allowing that. TikTok and its algorithm are on what is effectively their export control list, which I think provides evidence that they realized how valuable this tool is. There are a ton of American investors who have financial interests in ByteDance. They own a ton of ByteDance, but in the for sale scenario, they wouldn't necessarily lose all their money. But some of those investors, I think, are behind the lobbying effort right now that we're seeing and putting tons of pressure on Congress not to act. Let's talk a little bit more about the whole bin Laden letter phenomenon that happened, because I think we, we touched on it briefly, but it really was just just stunning to me that you had this, these kids going on TikTok and like they had discovered something that the country had kept hidden from them, this brilliant letter by this sheikh from the Middle East talking about, you know, how the Jews are running everything and, and all the rest of it. It's almost like a perfect storm because you have this vehicle of TikTok that the Chinese have created to shoot the fentanyl in, into their veins. And you have the enablers in academia who have been laying the groundwork for this attack. I mean, this this was all the whole ideology. We, we just did a podcast about the connection between anti-Semitism and uh, critical race theory, right? But this is all the, the ideology of settler colonialism. It, it, this rung a nerve with these young people, and they listen to it because they're getting taught it in schools. These, some of these schools are teaching bin Laden's letter without citing it as legitimate political science. Am I wrong? Uh, is that an exaggeration? I was joking. No, I was joking the other day. There was a point in my life, legitimately, when I was transitioning away from the military, and I, I hadn't yet followed the Danny Pletka path to the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, I was trying to finish my PhD, and I thought, you know what? It'd be really cool to be a college professor. And, like, you know, maybe one day I could run a small liberal arts university or college in America. I've now realized that uh, the politics of that are worse than the politics of politics. Uh, though and you're I, saying I thoroughly that as a member it. of the House of Representatives. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or at least we settle our differences via fistfights, okay, <laughs> these days, you know? 
not with you know uh, struggle sessions uh, and, and weird cultural revolution activities on college campuses, but it's absolutely abhorrent. I mean, when you have Ivy League professors out there saying that they they were overjoyed on October seventh and encouraging this stuff, some of our institutes of of higher education have completely lost their way. They're not equipping these kids with the skills they need, the critical thinking skills to survive in the real world. A lot of them are going to be unemployable, by the way, given that this stuff is not going to disappear. Like I was the last year where I was able to not have every activity that I took part in in in, in college tracked online. Facebook came out when I was a sophomore in college and it was only a small group of schools. And then I completely got out of it when I joined the military. This stuff is going into the ether, and it's going to follow these kids around for the rest of their lives. It's absolutely crazy. They're in an echo chamber, and our professors are – the professors that are lecturing us about social justice are behind some of the craziest, least morally coherent claims that one could possibly cook up. I don't know. I mean, I assume I have to send my kids to college at some point in like 15 years, but – that prospect is really stressing me out already. So we should shut down TikTok and shut down Harvard. Well, at a minimum, you should, start, problem, I think you should tax it? the endowments, right? Or prohibit the endowments from investing in countries with, with horrible social justice records like China, right? Um, there, there are sensible steps you could take to change the status quo. Unfortunately, a lot of that is a state-by-state issue. Like if you were trying to reform the university system in Wisconsin, you'd have to do it here at the state level. There, I mean, obviously it's connected to the federal government with federal government um, benefits, but there are things the federal government could do relative to the endowments that I think would make some sense. No, I will tell you, Mike, that I would just did a piece on Vivek Ramaswamy's business ties to the Chinese Communist Party and the people he was doing business. You know how I was able to confirm that they've scru- everyone who's in the Panama Papers was scrubbed online. They took down all their profiles. They took down everything. The way I was able to confirm the guy he was doing business with, his wife was involved with the Yale Beijing Center, and Yale had the business affiliations on its website. And there were pictures of both of them with the dean of Yale, the business school, you know, holding hands and talking about business in China. I mean, these these universities are as enmeshed with the uh, PRC and the CCP as TikTok is in many ways. Chinese students are very lucrative for these universities. There's a lot of unexplained donations, right? Uh, Section 117 of the Higher Education Act requires universities to disclose donations in excess of $250,000. They rarely comply with the law. The Trump administration started enforcing it. They found $6 billion in unreported donations. A lot of that came from China. There's been a lot of good work that the free press and others have done exposing donations from Qatar uh, in particular. But a lot of this money comes from China that funds these innocuous-sounding Um, departments and and buildings that really suppress certain content related to Taiwan or the the Uyghur genocide. So yeah, higher education has a massive problem um, that needs to be fixed. And, um, you know, I'm I'm excited by some of the stuff I see with the founding of new universities like the Texas University that Joe Lonsdale and others are doing. But I feel like until parents decide to get out of this like rat race of I guess this sounds hypocritical because I was in that rat race. I obviously went to a, a good college and that was like my like ambition in, in high school. My parents never like put any pressure on me, but I just feel like there's this weird keeping up with the Joneses thing that sustains what is clearly a broken system. And we're actually paying these universities massive sums of money to indoctrinate our kids against America and against us. It's wild. Like the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. 
Well, it is wild, and, it, and we're allowing them to be bought by the Communist Party in China. So exit question from me, what's it going to take? Okay, it, Osama bin Laden, the glorification of the man who committed the most uh, deadly attack on American soil in our history, that wasn't enough. What, what's it going to take to get either the president or Congress, and I mean both houses in this case, to agree that we have got to shut down this arm of the Chinese Communist Party in America? Well, I actually think the bin Laden fiasco, as well as more generally the glut of anti-Semitic content on TikTok, has given us an opportunity that we didn't have a few months ago to do the right thing. Um, in fact, I've been fielding calls from people that, you know, are I never would have expected would have been eager to do something, both from my colleagues in Congress and people in positions of influence in the private sector or in, in the entertainment industry. So I think we have to seize the current moment to go forward with a bill that, again, doesn't repeat the mistakes of the Senate bill that went forward, that's more narrowly tailored, but actually does the thing that we want to do, which is either ban TikTok or force a sale. I'm cautiously optimistic that we can get that bill through the relevant committee in Congress and on the House floor. And I think there's an opportunity for us to have a bipartisan vote that sends it to the Senate. I don't know what the number would be. There would obviously be some people that would vote against it in both parties. Uh, and then the politics of the Senate are a bit tricky, but the better the vote in the House, the better chance we have of actually forcing the Senate to act. So I think we have a narrow window right now, but the closer we get to the election, the harder it gets for the reasons you laid out before, right? Because the Biden administration is going to say, well, hey, we can't do anything to anger, you know, uh, well, I guess 14 year olds can't vote unless they live in Chicago. Um, but uh, the young people that may sustain that may sustain the, the member of the silent generation, ironically, who's running for president, who is older than the People's Republic of China. Do you see any hope on the Republican side for doing something? Let's say we get a Republican president. Do you see any hope that a Republican administration? A Republican president, quote unquote. Yes, I know. Depends on, it really depends on who it is, yeah. right? I mean, I think it's the more hawkish folk. I think like DeSantis and Haley probably would take action. Vivek, obviously not. Trump's a total wild card, right? I honestly don't know. I don't know if, what he would do. But uh, at least half the people that are on the stage would right now. So again, it's a very narrow window. But I do, I do think we have to act before it's too late. And I mean, this is just, again, this could... Take your pick of issue that the CCP could use to just turn Americans against Americans and create chaos. Think of all the uncertainty we were dealing with related to the origins of the pandemic, right? I mean, th I mean, multiply that by 20x the next time we're in a crisis. Or think about the ability it could give them to meddle in our elections, which presumably is an issue that everybody cares about, right? The Democrats told me for four years that that was the most important issue alive, which is, there's so many reasons why we have to act. But now, now is the moment. Well... Mike, you've got a lot of the answers, so we're we're counting on you to lead the charge on this, and you deserve at least a T-shirt or a keychain this time around uh, because, because I'm not soliciting it. You know, it must be under twenty dollars. Don't worry, it will. But I'll proudly display it if it, we satisfy the ethical requirements for the acceptance of this gift. Uh, we will make it awesome and cheap, perfect for us because we have a very low budget. <laughs> if it comes from Danny, I'm gonna have to get it tested by the CDC. To ensure it doesn't have any strain. Uh, no, no, he's not after me, Mike. You're safe. Yet, you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks again. Thank you. Danny, what do you think? So for me, everything, I feel like a broken record, but everything comes down to leadership. 
okay? There are things and problems that we have in America, and we have them, and we need to deal with them, and some of them are really, really hard, right? What the hell is wrong with the Republican Party? I don't know. What the hell is wrong with the Democratic Party? I can't fix that. What the hell is wrong with, you know, we, we can go on and on, but a lot of our problems are actually much simpler than they appear. Yes. And the problem of TikTok is freaking simple. It just requires a little bit of leadership. The president can do it. The Congress can do it. I know Mike was optimistic, and I hope he's right. You know, that is a, a triumph of hope over experience in my, in my book in Washington. I think the Chinese have us over a barrel because they have harnessed the most vicious, fearsome weapon on the face of the earth, the teenage girl. <laughs> you know where I'm speak. <laughs> I remember when we were, this, this is digging deep into the past, but when, when we were on the Foreign Relations Committee and we passed the Libertad Act, the Helms-Burton Act, the purpose of which was to stop Europeans from, one of the purposes was to stop them from trafficking in expropriated American property in Cuba. And our colleague Roger Noriega, one of the brilliant things that he came up with in this was making it one of the punishments for trafficking and expropriated property in addition to treble damages was the loss of visas for both the executives from the company and their immediate families because he knew that these these European uh, businessmen might not care about themselves, but if their wives couldn't come to New York to go shopping on Fifth Avenue, their children couldn't go to American universities, if they were not able to visit their homes that they had over here, then they would get hell at home from their wives and children. Why are you trafficking in this expropriated property in Cuba? I, I can't go to college. I can't go to shopping. We can't visit our home in Vail. What, what are you doing? And this is the same thing. Too many politicians are afraid if they go out and ban TikTok, they're going to come home and their daughters are going to beat the crap out of them. They've, they've harnessed the weapon that people are most afraid of, which is their teenage daughters. Yeah, well, teenage daughters, but boys are morons too. Well, you're totally right about about the fact. Look, I don't know whether you saw the report, but you saw that Biden, that Biden is thinking about getting on TikTok for uh, for his 2024 reelect made me laugh laugh out loud. Ian Vivek, you know, are are courting TikTok influencers. I know, but come on, let us talk about the beauty of some of a member of the silent generation using TikTok, <laughs> TikTok as a tool. It's all cynical. It's slovenly. It's lazy. It's a bankruptcy of leadership. It's just, it's incredible, and. That is the happy news <laughs> that we have this week for everybody. Hey, everybody, please uh, have a very safe and, uh, and joyful Thanksgiving. Uh, don't argue with your relatives. Don't argue with your teenage daughters like Mark is about to. <laughs> and be thankful for everything we have. And we're, we're thankful for all of you for listening to this podcast. Uh, and thanks for listening again. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell@ai.org, Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.